What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And Mr. Stay and I have been recovering from our hangovers from our fifth anniversary last week. Thank you again to everyone who came along to that. But it's great to be back. We are now officially in our sixth sixth year our sixth season so welcome welcome and we want to thank everyone yes we're still here folks it wasn't a big announcement last week that we were going to end the podcast we're doing it at least for another <laughs> week aren't we mark no we've got tons of great stuff coming over the next year and uh, we'd like to thank all of our patrons everyone who supported this show it is because of you that we are here it is because mm. of you that we can get this podcast out to many many thousands of writers so thank you again and if you would like to join that bunch of merry merry writers uh, if you ever, ever, ever felt that the podcast has given you something, lifted your day, given you a bit of inspiration, kept you writing, started you writing, please come and support the podcast. It's very simple. You go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. And also thank you to all our Academy members. And Mark, we've just done a quick interview, well, a quick interview, it's a brilliant interview with Mark Hood that we're going to be putting out as an Academy All-Star special for everyone in the world to listen to about his incredible writing streak. Uh, yeah. Do we do we kind of do we uh, do we do we put a teaser or a spoiler in as to how many days he's currently been writing for, or should we no, 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 no. wait for it comes no, out? No, 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 you've got to wait. I mean, these uh, Academy All Star episodes, we do these infrequently. You know, we do this when one of our academates uh, does something extraordinary. And Mark, I mean, look, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that Mark Hood has an extraordinary uh, writing streak. Um, but not just that, he's he's you know he's he's taken this two hundred word a day thing. And uh, he's just sussed it. He's absolutely sussed it. And if you want to get into that, that writing habit and don't want to hear us just keep banging on about it every week and hear someone who's actually done it and and has been incredibly productive and is very cool about it as well, then uh, do check that out. It should be coming out a couple of days after this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So, And if you want to try the 200-word challenge, it's 200wordchallenge.com. And you can, uh, once you've heard this interview, I think you will be very, very convinced of not just actually, there's a lot of extra stuff that I didn't expect over and above just the word count, which we really delve into. So do not miss that. It's a fantastic interview. But talking of fantastic things happening, Mark, there's all kinds of crazy, amazing things happening right now. None less than a certain box that has arrived in your household, I believe, this week. 
It's here! It's here! It's My here. book is here! Ooh, let me smell it. <laughs> oh, the smell of it. Yes, um, <clears throat> composure. Uh, my second Witches of Woodville book, Babes in the Wood, has arrived. It arrived in a, in a lovely big box the other day, and I ripped it open and then thought, oh, no, I need to do an unboxing video. So uh, we've been so you out... strapped and- it back up, did you? Get the tape out? <laughs> well, you know, you know I don't do these things by halves, so we were actually out in the local woods at dusk last night, basically shooting a short horror movie <laughs> and i've seen a rough cut of it and actually by the time this episode go, goes live we should be out of post-production and uh, it should be Love available it. for all and i gotta say that um my daughter emily and her fella kaya have excelled themselves this time the the vfx on this <laughs> i kid you not for an unboxing video is out of this world so uh, i'm very very happy you're with that. very you're setting a whole new standard here mark aren't you everyone's gonna be like well how are we gonna follow that but it's almost like you're having to now follow your own unboxing oh, videos you have like by the yeah. time you've written your kind of like tenth in the series mark what are you going to be doing you're gonna be like george lucas is going to be directing you're gonna have extras <laughs> in the background well the, the, ne- the next one i don't want to say too much about it but the next one features a ghost so we're already having conversations about how we do that <laughs> i can only imagine i'm very apt around this time of year as well but congratulations i mean you know this these yeah. are massive moments in Never our journey old. as writers Never right? old. yeah it's yeah. absolutely and brilliant and here's the thing they're still putting specials on the cover my publisher still loves me you know so- <laughs> Is it special? Is it a kind of embossed title? Yeah, yeah, embossed and a little bit of gloss on there as well. Uh, Nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the other other treat I got today as well is they sent me the files for the audio book, which is read by Candida Gubbins, who did the first one, who is just amazing. Then this book, this book has so many accents in it. Okay. You've, I mean, you've got, you've got Faye herself, who's like, you know, uh, Kent and got that kind of, you know, cheeky, chirpy, uh, accent. But you've, you've got German in here. You've got Bavarian, very specific Bavarian accent. You've got Scots. You've got Cockneys. You've got all sorts in it. And <laughs> she's invented, a, she, she's invented a few of her own as well. There's a character. Uh, what I love about Candidate and any audiobook narrator is when they just take something and they make it their own. Hmm. Uh, and because there's one character I've got in there, just a few lines and she's made him work. Welsh. I just love it. See, I didn't write him as Welsh, but he's now Welsh and forever will be Welsh in my in my in my head. It's just wonderful. I love it. So for all of the people who have that kind of inner imp inside themselves, as you're writing your book, it might be your first ever book, but you will one day have an audiobook version of it. So have some fun with the narrator. Like put some stuff. <laughs> Have some fun with it. Like make oh, it, make it, make it interesting for them. Cursing because I've got, I, I you know, know I've right? got the people speaking German in here as well, which is a difficult language to get your Ooh, head around if you're unfamiliar absolutely. with it. So uh, yeah, well, my yeah, mum was so. a German teacher, and I used to hear it around the house all the time. Ah. Um, and uh, yeah, that guttural kind of like uh, sound. It's it's. Uh, yeah. My mum used to great. She used to. She was really specific about pronunciation. Being a German teacher, if mm-hmm. I got if I would say something wrong, she'd always say. Oh, people who say ick, ick, it's ich, ich, not ich, ich, 
Kyber. It Kyber. And she used to drive her nuts. Probably still does, mum. I know mum listens to the podcast every now and again. So uh, hello, mum. But um, yeah, German. Like, go for it. German. Chucking a bit of, you know, chucking a bit of Chinese, Japanese. Like, have some fun with your narrators. They will love you forever, folks. And you get the last laugh, literally. They like the challenge. They like Absolutely. the challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. New, new, new podcast challenge for season six. Um, and Mark, so there's 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 that happening, but there's there's also tons of events happening as well. It, you, you seem to be in yes. demand now as an eventy event hoster. <laughs> I think sit it's probably down, the- sit down, dear listener. Get a pen and paper. Get your diary out. Uh, <laughs> dates for your diary. So, well, this is coming out on the Monday. So the Thursday of this week, Thursday the twenty eighth. Uh, I'm doing a live launch show uh as we did with the fifth you know anniversary fifth birthday so it's going to be on Streamyard, going to be on uh facebook and youtube and uh a friend of the podcast mr cleave mcdonald will be co-hosting and a master of ceremonies and we'll be having all sorts of fun we'll be announcing the winner because i'm doing my usual book and chocolate giveaway on twitter at the moment uh so we'll be announcing the winner of that as well uh and having all sorts of fun so that's thursday the 27th 7 p.m uh bst yes go i've said this before as well but if you want Want to see how to do a book launch if you want to get inspiration <laughs> go to mr stays they're absolutely brilliant i mean they're getting more and more like you know talking about your VF- vfx on the on oh, the videos don't. here but the, the productions now of these book launches with a technology that you can get very cheaply now right it's not like you're paying ridiculous but you know, like when we did our fifth anniversary, it was like we were joking about it. it feels like a TV broadcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So come and watch it because even if even if you just want to see how Mark does it, I, I remember coming to your last one and I was like, this is brilliant. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. There's plenty of room for disaster. So that's Thursday 27th. On Friday the 29th, I'm in conversation with none other than Mr. Ben Aronovich at Waterstones in Canterbury. So that's a live in-store events. So if you happen to be in Canterbury, in Kent, the Waterstones there, uh, tickets are selling like hotcakes, absolutely flying out, actually. It's, it's a nice little insight into what it's like to be a best-selling author who puts on events. <laughs> so that, that's selling really, really fast. And then on Saturday the 30th, I'm doing a thing with the Canterbury Fringe uh, on how to get published. So myself and a couple of other authors uh, will be talking about um, how to get published, either as indie or traditionally, and answering your questions on that. That's at, uh, the Rock Paper Scissors store. Uh, and on Sunday, I'm having a lie-in, which is ironic because the clocks go forward. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, and Sunday is the special event of sleeping for 24 hours. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. But I'll put uh, links in the show notes for all of that stuff so you can find that nice and easily excellent and well best of luck with all those markets it's absolutely brilliant i'm sure you'll give us a kind of a an update i can't wait to hear how the ben aronovich interview goes and now that he's in the hot seat rather than us being in the hot seat i'm sure um there'll be a few references to that infamous episode uh, many many eons ago that we did with with ben um another thing that's uh, that we want to mention as well in case you didn't hear the fifth anniversary and if you missed it please go and have a listen because it was brilliant and if you actually came to the live ep- uh, like we did a live event where everyone could actually show up a few days before it went actually live online um but mark we had some uh, i was quite blown away actually when it got edited we had about seven, eight, nine former guests from the podcast drop us some messages, which our editors kind of slipped in in between. Yeah, yeah. So if you listen to the recording, you get some, you get bonus material, and it was really, really sweet. And actually, I had a couple of authors get in touch when it was the deadline had passed, saying, "Oh, can we leave a message?" I'm like, "It's too late. Maybe next year." So it was very sweet, but they said very sweet things about us as well. So, um, but yeah, what uh, you know, we got little 
birthday messages all the way, all the way through. But it, I think it's the first one on the episode from Kylie Dunbar. And this is so sweet. And I had no idea about this. She said that she named characters after you and me. <laughs> so uh, in the book, uh, I think it's Borrower Bookshop Holiday, there's an Elliot DeVoe. <laughs> I know. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. Actually and immortalized as a, uh, yeah, as, as a, as a, as a hero in a, a romance novel. <laughs> Doesn't get better than that, does it, really? And at, at matchmaking at Port Willow, there's a Mark Firth, okay, which is very sweet. But I see I got the mark and you got the surname, <laughs> which reminds me because, you know, when we were doing Back to Reality, we were talking about maybe combining our names. And I said, yeah, 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 we'll use your mark and my stay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember that conversation. I'm like, yeah, that's a, uh, hang on uh, hang um, on. <laughs> How about we do your first name and my last name? Oh, that's brilliant. But thank you so much to all the authors that, that sent us messages. It was so heartwarming. And I, I literally almost almost welled up when I was listening to the podcast. We listen to the podcast ourselves. It's kind of a bit weird, but we do. I mean, usually to make sure that, you know, we haven't, there's nothing inappropriate that, that hasn't been taken out. But um, I must admit, Kylie, when I heard your message, it, it actually made me think, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And um, I can only, the only reason, Mark, I can, I can imagine why I got the romance hero is it probably has something to do with some kind of French <laughs> ancestral background. And my surname has that kind of like, so it's, pro it's probably nothing personal, but Kylie, you're forever in my heart <laughs> for that. And I have to go read this book now. I mean, this is a thing, right? This is a great way of put some authors in because, you know, I want to go read that book and find out what this, what this uh, Elliot DeVoe gets up to, what shenanigans yeah. he gets himself into. <laughs> it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, and um, so, yeah, if you, if, you, if you missed that, if you came to the live, do listen to the, the rerun uh, on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and all good and actually, you know what? Well, we haven't told a lot of people. We put it in the newsletter. But if you say to your Alexa or your Google Mini or Home or whatever other ones there are out there, hey, Google, play the bestseller experiment podcast, it, it plays the latest episode. It's absolutely brilliant. You've just fired up all these little Google boxes all over oh, the world. Yeah. You know that, don't you? Yeah, hey, Alexa. I Play the uh, bestseller experiment podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly all across the house. It's like, what the hell's going on? Your kids are in their bedrooms trying to play their video games and suddenly it's like, da -na 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 -na. it's like, what's this? It's a shame Patreon doesn't have the same thing, is it? Hey, Patreon, subscribe to the top tier of the best podcast. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alexa, order 20,000 copies of Back to Reality. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but you can do that you can actually order a book on alexa have you ever have mm. you ever tried that mark you i, can, I you won't can... allow alexa in the house oh. <laughs> for that very Absolutely. reason we do we we have our entire house um rigged up uh with with actually right. google google homes and minis so right. we're, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i listen to podcasts constantly on them go from one room to the other it's brilliant but uh, yeah try that out folks it's really good fun just ask <laughs> just ask to play the latest episode or you can even say you know episode episode blah or the episode with ben aronovich that might even work as well on some of those devices so if there's something <laughs> if there's an episode you want to kind of catch up on or you haven't heard or you want to re-listen to try that as well but it's really 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 great um a couple other things to mention before we dive into this double header interview that we've got oh, this yeah. week which i'm Special really excited stuff. about um thank you to everyone who has already 
pledged to buy back to reality hardback because we, oh, yeah. we announced this on our fifth. We've had a ton of people. We're getting getting closer and closer to this total, which will trigger. We need to get a um, hundred orders for that book or pledges. And then we're going to actually put everyone's names in the book, in the back of the book. And we're going to create a hardcover edition of the book and tell you all how to order it. So if you would like to be a part of that, please pop along to uh, bestsellerexperiment.com slash back to reality and there'll be details there on how you can order it and for anyone you know we talked about audiobooks earlier mark as well didn't we but we are running a very special competition which you should remind everyone of yeah just sign up to the newsletter and you're entered into a draw to win uh one of three free copies of the back to reality audiobook which is as much fun as you can possibly have with your clothes on it's just fantastic again Absolutely. kim breton amazing narrator i'm in awe of audiobook narrators and she was she was just terrific Absolutely. Yeah, terrific. absolutely. So if you want to enter for that competition, you simply go to the website and click on the newsletter tab. Right. Enough about all that. Let's get mm. down to the good stuff, Mark. Let's find out more about our two incredible guests today, Alan Gillespie and Emma Gray. Yes. Well, these are two Scottish authors and they're both unbound authors and as you know i was an unbound author of my book uh the end of magic and unbound is the crowdfunding publisher and alan's book is the mash house uh and the shout line is secrets death and malt whiskey and alan is a writer and english teacher from fife scotland and the mash house is this thriller set in an isolated community great characters great story great whiskey emma gray and Emma, you left and all of Scotland and anyone Scottish around the world. And I'm going to apologise in advance for the accent, but she's written it in Scottish vernacular, including the title. So the title is "It'd Be Good to Your Mammy." Again, apologies there. Uh, which is about Kate, who wants to be a screenwriter, and her grandmother, uh, who nearly became a film star in her youth. And as I said, it's written in that Scottish vernacular. So we talk about voices, both those of authors and characters who might otherwise have been overlooked, uh, what to do when you write in a language that makes copy editing nearly impossible, uh, writing without quotation marks for dialogue, and the whole crowdfunding experience. It's a hell of a chat. Wonderful stuff. So let's dive in and listen to Mr. Stay speaking to none other than Alan Gillespie and Emma Gray. Alan Gillespie and Emma Gray, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you both today? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? Very okay, good. <laughs> we, we, this is why we rarely do. We rarely have two authors on. It'll be just, <laughs> just, just barge in, just barge in, overlap, <laughs> say what you want. It's all cool. But I'm delighted to have you both on the show. And I wanted you on here because you have a lot in common, but your books are very, very different. And I'd love to hear about your experiences. Um, but Alan, your book, uh, The Mash House, uh, was published in May of 2021. And Emma Gray, Be Good to Your Mammy, was published in August. Uh, and they were both uh, part of Unbound. I'm I myself am an unbound author and I've been through the whole crowdfunding thing. I'd love to talk about that and all the kind of surprises that came out of that. Uh, and also, I've just seen you have both been getting the most extraordinary reviews and coverage. And uh, I just want to talk about your writing journey. So, um, Alan, let's start with you. Uh, tell us about The Mash House. Um, the Mash House is my debut book. It's a tartan noir um, in the in the footsteps of the great William McIlvanny and all of the other Scottish crime and um, uh, kind of uh, writers of darkness and um, creepy stories. It's not. It's not really a police procedural as such. Um, I kind of. I kind of see it as being a little bit more like, do you know, the film and the TV series Fargo. Mm. Um, 
which is which is I guess kind of a thriller kind of thing. Yeah, that was really a big inspiration for me. Um, I really wanted to transplant that, that kind of small town creepy atmosphere into a Highland village, um, and it, it kind of centres around a whiskey distillery, um, and uh, there's just various dodgy characters and uh, dark evil deeds taking place. Sounds fantastic. And Emma, tell us about Be Good to Your Mammy. This this is quite a different book, isn't it? I, I love, the, love the sound of this Very one. different book, yeah. So Be Good to Your Mammy um, is a book about a very questionable Glaswegian grandmother who has a little bit more to her than meets the eye. And um, it's a book, I've actually, I, I never realised this, but I've actually unintentionally been working on this book since 2011 uh, in a completely different form. So I, I used to work in a care home um, way back when, um, after I left high school in 2011, my mum was like, get a job, ended up in a care home in Glasgow. And, um, you know, I learned more there than I did at Strathclyde, not going to lie. And um, yeah, that was sort of where it came from. And people spoke in Scots there. It was such an unintentional, I know there's such a movement in Scots literature right now. I, at no point was this planned. This was very much in the works a long time before. Any, and it even, but what ended up being really nice about this book is that it's women's voices in Scots. And as far as I'm aware, there isn't really many of them out there, least of all a book voiced by four of them. <laughs> Mm. Uh, voices it, it's something we we love to talk about on this podcast because you know since self-publishing and platforms like unbound have come along the ability to get voices that might otherwise have been overlooked by traditional publishing is you know the opportunities there like never before and um you've both chosen the very distinct styles and voices for your books which i'd love to talk about now um emma yours is written in the scottish vernacular and i think you know the most famous examples are probably irving welsh train spotting james kelman how late it was how late anna warner's Morven callar and I remember um, I, I was just reading Douglas Stewart, who won for Shuggy Bain. He said that Kelman inspired him. He said, I saw my people, my dialect on the page, and that inspired him. Why did you want to write in the Scottish vernacular for your book? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I hadn't read any Scots books, like apart from like Burns and like, the, uh, I loved Still Game growing up. Don't get me wrong. That was like, I was obsessed with it. My grandpa loved it. I thought it was great. But it was just the way that people spoke. As soon as I was going to write an old Scottish person, it was in Scots. There was, that was, it was as simple as that. Um, but as I like got into it, it came so much more easy to me than writing in English ever did. And, um, you know, it was just so natural. It wasn't really like a, a choice. But I will say, in terms of voice, four of them that was a really specific influence and it wasn't a Scots book actually it was um, a book called House Mother Normal by B.S. Johnson it's uh, set in a care home it's an experimental novel and um, each of the there's like a house mother who's like the main narrator I might be misremembering this because I read it about eight years ago but each of the chapters is voiced by a different person in the care home and um, that was where the idea of voices came. But I obviously took that idea and applied it to a family across generations. And um, initially, quite a few of my characters, it was just Granny who was in Scots. And at the very beginning, it wasn't even full Scots. But I realised that that was the right way to do it and started properly writing in Scots. And then after the book was finished, I rewrote the younger generation and her daughter. So what's quite cool about Be Good to Your Mammy is that every character's language is different depending on their age and their social standing. And that includes the spellings. So uh, granny will use hink with an h and the younger generation will be fink with an f and then um, these were all it was a bit it was difficult it was hard to get this right and consistent it was, you know I'm, I'm moving on to the second print and trying to just be like right 
this was never going to be 100% because there's no such thing as a Scots proofreader or an editor. They just don't exist. There's no Scots dictionary. It's very much off your own ear and off your own back. But I'm really glad I did it because I certainly haven't seen anything like it before. It's it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, we're all in the Unbound. There's an Unbound Facebook group for authors. And I did see you I'm sort of fretting about typos. And I'm there going, well, everyone, you know, everyone has a couple of typos. But, you know, once I saw the book and saw it was in the Scottish vernacular, I thought, oh, God. Gosh, there's a whole other level of responsibility there to get that right, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like each character had their own little list on my computer of how they were going to use each word and each rule for each character. And um, I think I'll be, I'm definitely, I've never, no one has pointed out any errors in the first edition. I know they're there, but no one has said anything, which is great. And um, I don't think they will because I'm pretty sure we're kind of running out of books at this stage, which is good. So it's fine. I got away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alan, your book uh, is written in a, a brilliant Pro style. There's no punctuation on the dialogue. It reminds me of people like Cormac McCarthy. Uh, and I think Sally Rooney has does the same thing as well, which is a really wonderful choice. Why what made you go for that particular style? Um uh, yeah, uh, I was influenced by uh, McCarthy and Rooney, like you say, and also another American writer called Kent Herriff, who is uh, a sensational writer. Um I don't know. I mean, I, I just wanted to write a like I wanted to write the kind of book that I like to read. Um and I like I like books that don't use um, you know quotation marks for dialogue attribution, and you know I've, I've, I've been asked this a few times, so I have had an opportunity to think about it. Um, one of the reasons I like it is because I like the aesthetics on the page of just the words. Um, whenever I've been reading a book that doesn't use speech marks, and then I look at a page that's cluttered with speech marks, it feels incredibly heavy and it feels kind of um, messy and it doesn't look very pleasing to my eye so you know from one point of view it's purely a kind of personal snobbery kind of thing um, and also you know just just from a kind of storytelling perspective we, we don't use quotation marks when we're talking to each other Do you know Emma was saying there that she worked in a, a care home and people were saying this to her and people were saying that to her she, we don't need speech marks to understand that what she's telling us is dialogue we get it it's fine it's human conversation and um that kind of oral storytelling tradition i quite like that um obviously there's a wee risk at times it can be uh you know it can be tricky to tell the difference between dialogue and and the narrative um perspective but you know as long as you're careful you should be able to steer clear of any um big issues like that but yeah you know sally rooney uh, is probably going to sell about five billion books this year with our new one coming out, uh, Cormac McCarthy, I'm sure, does fine. So there's plenty of writers that have shown that you don't need speech marks in order to attract a readership. Um, and the other reason, really, is it's 100,000 words long. Mash House, a big, chunky book. And um, when I got to the end of the process and we'd gone through the, the, you know, the character edits and looking at the plot and all of that kind of stuff, I said to my editor, look, do you think I can? Do you think it's okay to go ahead without the speech marks here? And they said, "Yeah, it's fine." Do you want to go back and add in speech marks to your one hundred thousand word book? <laughs> and obviously, I did not. So we just went with it. <laughs> Brilliant! That's because an excuse I've ever heard. Why did yeah. you both uh, choose Unbound? Did either of you think about either the traditional route or the the self publishing route? Emma, was it always going to be something like Unbound for you? 
it's hilarious. Unbound was the first publisher I ever had contact with. I'm one of like the OGs because um, Unbound, when so they began back in 2011, and um, that was when I was really seriously trying to write. But I was 17 and just didn't know what I was doing. I had good ideas, but was terrible at what I was doing because I was just straight out of school and I think at that age you try and be everybody apart from who you're meant to be it wasn't actually until I went to Trinity College and well actually a little bit before Trinity at Strathclyde I did sort of start getting into my stride but Trinity sort of gave me the confidence to do it um, but I used to post my writing on a website called Jotify it doesn't exist anymore but it's like it used to be like a place where writers could go on and share short stories and novel extracts and um, when it's really funny because I found out about that website through high school through someone who I don't like very much and I'm like thanks for that man because I ended up getting published like 10 years later by this publisher cheers that worked quite well for me <laughs> and then um, they were looking for a book and then um, this guy called Edward Higgins had posted the start of a book called Conversations with Spirits, which is one of Unbound's earlier works. And um, it had like 15,000 readers and stuff. So that was back in 2011. And the internet was big back then, but definitely not what it is now. And um, so I knew about Unbound and I remember being quite jealous, like, oh, he get a book published. And he like added me on Facebook. So I saw the, saw the process of him crowdfunding it as well. I had no idea how much money it was. That was the one thing I didn't know. And then another guy from the website. So we all sort of became friends on Twitter through knowing each other through this website. Another guy called Paul Holbrook. He also wrote the kind of horror historical novel. He got picked up by Unbound a couple of years later. And at this point, I was doing my master's degree and had decided that I wanted to write a novel. So this would have been 2015 because I started writing Mammy in 2015. I'd sort of been doing a lot of short stories and memoir type stuff before then. And um, again, I was like, oh, I would like to do that. And then um, as part of my master's, um, I got to do like a publishing module. And um, we did like an investigation into the publishing industry because it was an MPhil. And um, naturally, Unbound, it was what I'd seen happen. So um, I came down to London. Um, it was two days after David Bowie died. That's in Mammy, because it was such a because I'm such a big Bowie fan, evidenced by the wall behind me. And um, yeah, I came down, interviewed Unbound, went to their office, and I was like just talking to them about Unbound. And I was like, Yeah, I've got a book, and I'm like, I have thought about it. Because I was asking the questions of how much money do you need to raise? That was my question. And I knew how much money was needed. Um, and then Mammy ended up finally being finished in 2018. And I'd sort of tinkered with editing it but I'd never tried to get an agent none of that stuff had happened just because I'd been publishing short stories here and there and then one day in work I was feeling kind of down and decided I was just going to send it to Unbound but when we were doing the whole submission process I was like I know these guys I know who I'm sending it to so I sent it off but I was I didn't think they'd take it because I did think that my manuscript I, I thought it's in four voices and it's in Scots there's a million reasons not to take this book because it is niche and at that point there were like so the, the whole revival on Scots literature no one knew about it that was that was on no one's radar back then and then in January 2019 they were like yeah we'd love to crowdfund it and then um, my mom again had known about Unbound for talking with me and I was like come hell or high water I'm finding that money like, I knew how much money I needed and I knew how to build an audience on social media and then I had actually spoken to literary agents and stuff so after I crowdfunded it I was sort of told by an agent like what as an agent they look for in terms of social media following what kind of following they do and I was fortunate that I was able to build that largely after funding really because of the whole big Scots is it a language is it not I kind of like won points by being controversial which I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Alan, why did you choose Unbound? And again, did you explore any other publishing avenues before you approached them? And to be honest, it's all Emma's fault. 
Uh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I never heard of Unbound. Um, I was using Twitter uh, mainly <clears throat> as an English teacher to kind of um, network with other teachers, and and also I was uh, writing a little bit of short fiction here and there. So I was following lots of Scottish teachers and writers and things like that, and I was following Emma on Twitter. And um, I didn't know this. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> and uh, she'd been, you know, obviously. Um, posting about um, her crowdfunding and I'd kind of looked at the Unbound's website having seen Emma on there and uh, I was consumed with jealousy I just thought that looks awesome I want to be doing that as well so I I didn't have a book written at all I had about 8,000 words I think and I sent Unbound a couple of chapters I can't remember what the criteria was a few chapters Uh, I made up a synopsis for this unfinished book and you know, just just obviously forgot about it, and then uh, six months later, they they got back in touch and said, "Okay, cool, we'll take it." Um, and I was kind of surprised, and I, I I messaged Emma at that point, and um, and said, "Look, what's the chat? What's it like working with them? What kind of stuff have you been doing, and what's working and what isn't?" And I also said to Unbound, "You know, the book isn't finished," and they said, "Oh, that's okay, as long as it's finished by the time your crowdfunding's finished." Then, then that works for us. So they obviously liked, you know, the the sample chapters and the synopsis that I sent over, and I just found that really validating and really encouraging. And I just thought, you know, if these guys like it, I'd be stupid to. It would have been really easy to turn around and say, "I'm sorry, the book isn't finished. Give me a year, and I'll get back to you." And I just thought, oh, you know, this is a wee chance to do something that um, wasn't really happening for me without Unbound being there. So I had to go for it, and. Uh, Emma was a really great, um, confident all the way through crowdfunding. We were messaging each other quite regularly, um, you know, when we were feeling pissed off or when we were feeling <laughs> really happy. Uh, oh, my God, you'll never guess what happened. Oh, I'm furious this has happened. Um, and we've never met each other. This is the closest we've, yeah. we've got to meet. So, um, we'll need to go out for a... We'll need to go out for a couple of definitely, cocktails. Definitely, definitely. I didn't even know that you that, that was how you saw it. I think... I think it's kind of funny though so many unbound offers have all seen each other like we've seen one campaign and then someone else has jumped on it as a kind of way of doing it themselves which is really interesting because I mean Edward been friends with him on Facebook for 10 years have I met him no apparently we passed each other like and we must have passed each other on the tube by now but we've just never met (laughs) (laughs) Um, Alan that thing of uh, sending it off and then waiting for six months and kind of forgetting it and then they got in touch had you continued to write the book in in those six months did you continue working on it I was just teaching I was um, teaching classes I was writing a couple of wee educational features every now and then but um Really, as a fiction writer, I was lying fairly. I was in hibernation, so that that was why when they made the offer, um, I was I was really I had a bit of a dilemma about whether or not I should go for it. Um, and obviously, I'm I'm glad that I decided to stick my neck out and uh, yeah, take the risk. Yeah, there's nothing like a deadline to put a fire up your bum, is there? Eh? Aye, uh, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that did the job for me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the crowdfunding experience in a bit in a bit more detail. Um, Emma, you you, uh, you were talking about 
you know, you know how to build up uh, a social media following and that sort of thing. I saw your pledge video, which I love because one, you fluffed a line, and two, your cat made a cameo. Uh, which that makes cat actually. Oh, okay, <laughs> Sadly, <fair. laughs> not mine. <laughs> um, and also, you have to do different pledges. You know, you can have your name in the back of the book, and you can do this. Your top level was a Horcrux level pledge. Do you, can you tell yeah. us about that as well? I mean, I didn't think anyone would take it, but someone actually did. And um, and then I have to decide, like, I'm not going to say what it is. I've worked out what the Horcrux is. It's not actually my soul, but I'm, I'm arranging it. I'm in the process of arranging it now because I was like, I'm going to actually have to work out what that was because people keep asking me about it. And I was like, I didn't think anyone would pick that one. And then um, like a distant family member took like a really high pledge, which was lovely of her and was really fortunate just the way it worked out in terms of getting the support, but I didn't get as much in the initial stages, never had as many pledges as Alan. I don't think I knew enough people basically. Um, I think I crowdfunded with like 120 supporters, which wasn't a huge amount. I was quite fortunate that um, I'd like, um, had been left a little bit of money. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was enough to shove in and push the campaign over the edge, which is what I did. And um, don't regret it for a second um, because I actually ended up getting a job with the Scots Language Centre as soon as the book funded. And they commissioned me to um, write in Scots for them. And that paid more than paid for everything that was invested in terms of pushing the Unbound book over the edge. And that's been brilliant in terms of making connections and finding a bigger audience for the book. So I think if... It's, it's difficult though because me and Alan were on the digital list of Unbound. I know that the main list is a lot more money than what we had to raise. And if I'd been on the main list, I don't know if I could have found that kind of money, uh, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, there is, I'm, I'm on the digital list too. And mm-hmm. I mean, when I was doing it, it was about five and a half grand, I think. I suspect it's probably, is it about the same now or has it gone up? It was, the same, it was the same for us too. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, I mean, I, I don't, Alan. How did you um, sort of work on your crowdfunding? Were you very strategic about it, or uh, how how did that work for you? Um, I was strategic at times, and other times it was just you know a complete scattergun, wild west kind of approach. You know, I was quite fortunate working in a school. Um, lots of the uh, parents and uh, pupils at the school, well, you know, once they found out about it, lots of them were quite happy to pledge and buy buy a book. Um, and get the name in and that's been great because since the book's been published lots of the kids have been bringing their book in and asking me to sign it for them and stuff like that so I really like that part of being a being a teacher who's a writer and being able to kind of model um, that that people can be writers and it isn't hmm. it isn't you know just uh, Richard Osman who's getting away with it <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah but I also had a really just uh, hectic um systematic harassment of literally anyone I'd ever met in my life. Um, emails, texts, messages, Facebook message, you know, requests out of the blue. Um, I'm sure everyone was absolutely sick to the back teeth of hearing about it. And uh, yeah, it was hard work. Like it was really hard working. Um, I don't know if I could do it again. Um, I don't know if I literally would be successful doing it again because I kind of feel that the first time you do it, there's a wee bit of a, a novelty there. Mm. Oh, let's buy a book and help Alan get a book published. But you know, sitting in it, well, we've done that already. You know, surely um you can you can do it yourself this time. So I don't know, I found the crowdfunding really tough, but every time you got, you know, an extra wee percentage on your total, uh, it was a wee boost. You know, you get a wee adrenaline buzz, you get a wee kind of a wee G up and um puts a bit of wind underneath you. And I like I like the 
I do like the connection and the bond that it can build between readers and the writer. Do you know, there's lots of um, readers in my book that I didn't know before, but I now kind of know them a bit online or we follow each other and, you know, I'm pretty accessible. They can message me and we'll have a chat about it. I do like that side of Unbound's model a lot. Mm. Yeah, I had I had quite the same experience. It was it was I had a spreadsheet and it was like I've contacted them once, contacted them twice, contacted you know if after three times, you know. But yeah, it's it, and I'm glad I did it once, and I'm glad I did it, and you know you have that special connection. But I'm kind of glad I don't have to do it again because it was it's like you know if you've ever worked in an office and there's always one person who's doing like a a five k run and raising money for charity, you'll do it once, maybe twice, and yeah. start off. Oh, why I just set you up on a direct debit or something? You know, it, it's um it does does lose its novelty but alan I, I was looking at your pledge levels and you had one where you can name the dog and you can name the priest and you were careful to note that the dog doesn't die which is important although i do know you might lose a few cat lovers on page one of your book but <laughs> how did they were they i mean naming characters that was something i did and they were the first ones to go straight away was that the experience for you yeah my uh, it was actually my um my former head teacher uh, bought the dog um uh, her name's Dr. Laura Murphy. Um, hi, Laura, if you're watching. And uh, the dog's called Murphy in her honour. And that was, she basically said to me, what do you want to call it? And I said, well, it's up to you, but how about this? And, and she was happy with that. Um, the uh, Just on the note about the cat, Mark. Yes. The cat's dead before the book begins. Okay, I don't kill that cat. So it's not your fault. I am okay. absolved of all blame. <laughs> I just deal with the body. Um <laughs> And uh, and the other the other um, yeah there was another couple of characters like uh, one of my best mates from back home uh, I named a couple of the characters after him and his father um, and and uh, the, the, there was the naming of the, the priest um, I've got no idea who bought that or or what the priest's name means in the book they just um, I just got an email from Unbound to say this is the this is what you have to call your priest and I was kind of like cool. Oh, works for me right <laughs> so yeah these things are weird and wonderful and and you don't get them I, I assume in most other publishing journeys so i enjoyed that kind of quirky side to the unbound stuff. the subject of quirky i had the weirdest pledger possibly ever i still don't know who did it um i went on once and um like checking the campaign and someone had um pledged under jacob christopher rad and i'm like who's that and then i googled it it was the guy who invented the sugar cube who died about 200 years ago. <laughs> and he bought like a 12 copy option. And I was like, what? <laughs> then like, I'm like, I want to try and work out. I still don't know who it was. I honestly have no clue who this person was, but they have 12 copies of my book, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Why not? Why not? Let's talk about because you're both debut authors, and I've loved seeing your posts on the Unbound Group on Facebook. Uh, you know the astonishment and the surprises. I mean, uh, you know, Emma, us on Twitter. I saw you signing in Sockyhill Street the other day. You know, which is the bookshop. You know, the, the big waterstones in Sockyhill Street. Alan, I saw you. You were at Bloody Scotland in Stirling, where I believe you studied. You know, so you've got all these wonderful surprises. What have been the the big upsides to all of this for you? Mm. You want to go first, Emma? I'll need to have a think. <laughs> um, I think like um, signing it was great. That was amazing. Um, I think, I, I guess being like, I feel like I've kind of established something now. I feel like I've established myself as a voice within the Scots writing community. Mm. Um, I've already been approached by a publisher for another book of mine, which is great. So I know that I can do this again. This is just a case of when and getting the story right, um, which is amazing. And um, 
it's just good to know I'll be able to do it again because I think for a very long time I was sort of the goal was publish a novel publish a novel that was all I ever wanted to do in my life and then I did it and then you kind of sort of with that what's next but it's been really nice that my book hasn't been I did not know how my book would be received because it's a comedy as well and I wasn't sure if people would a find it funny or you know and it does deal with serious themes so it's, it's quite a complicated book and I wasn't sure how it would go down with readers it's gone down a lot better than I thought it would especially with men because I thought oh, this book's told by the voices of four women will any men actually want to read it and I've been totally surprised at how many men have enjoyed it and like really recommended it to people which has been great um so it's been a real confidence boost but I still feel like I'm on the journey with it because um from writing I started writing October 20. Uh, 15 when I moved to Ireland finished it in 2018 but you know it took like I was supposed to come out at the same time as Alan but didn't because I delayed it because um, I have OCD and that made it a million times harder along with the fact that I was dealing with such a complex book to edit it was really hard because I just wanted to make sure that I was letting it go in as good a shape as I could and I know I did and I was obviously grateful that it's so well enough that I can sort of go back and fix the stuff that I want to fix um but yeah there's been it was great going in and signing it and I had such a good publication day and so far haven't been really trolled which is surprising because <laughs> I'm sort of used to it as the journalist I thought that I was that they were going to come for me I mean they will come for me but they, they haven't done it yet which has been nice I feel like I've had a nice month <laughs> isn't that isn't that just a damning indictment of the 21st century they will come for me sooner or later <laughs> well, well look, Emma we'll, we'll be there by your side when they do don't you worry um Alan, what were the uh, the big surprises and upsides for you uh, for for uh, Mash House? Um, I don't know. I mean, the big upsides for me have been just just the really cliched things like seeing it in bookshops, um, seeing people that you don't know reading it. Because obviously, I knew my granny would read it, and I knew my dad <laughs> would read it, and blah, and they would tell me it was good and all the rest of it. But like strangers reading it and enjoying it, that has been incredibly rewarding. Um, and uh, like I'm a really, really envious person, like really envious of other people's success. I like people to be successful, but not like any more successful than me usually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like for years, I um, I, 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 you know, I was friends with some writers, and I would be in and out of bookshops, and I would go to uh, book festivals and things like that. And for years, I would go to these things, really happy to be there and to see whoever was doing their stuff. But a wee part of me felt sick with jealousy. So seeing my own book in the shops, getting to go and do a couple of wee book festival events, signing uh, my book for the kids that we'd be bringing it in, you know, doing a, there's a really great um, group on Instagram called the Scottish Book Club. And uh, we did a big kind of like um, online book group chat with them a couple of weeks ago. All of these things have just been like beyond, more exciting than I thought they ever would be. To be honest, I thought the book would come out and I would go very modestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. But I am like milking it as much as I can. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I definitely feel the kind of, um, I feel the desire to do it again. I've got, I've got another book that I've, I've drafted and I'm working on that. And I've spoken to a couple of agents and publishers kind of, you know, half-heartedly. Um, so yeah, I've definitely got the bug and would like to, like to see it happen again at some point no uh, as would we all as would we all i mean it's um and you should 
just love those moments when they come along, those signings, those little moments, seeing your book on the shelf. You know, they are moments to cherish and uh, it never gets old, I can tell you. It's just fantastic. Well, uh, Alan and Emma, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Uh, I, I normally ask what's next, but you've, you've both got, you know, you're both working on new books, which is just fantastic. And, and folks, you know, if you want The Mash House or Be Good to Your Mammy, available everywhere. So, you know, grab, grab a copy. Uh, they are extraordinary. Believe the hype. You know, the reviews are just amazing. And uh, two really unique voices, which, again, you know, without publishers like Unbound and platforms like Unbound might never have got out there into the world, which uh, so we'll, we should be forever grateful for that. So, Alan and Emma, thank you so much for speaking to me. I yes. sincerely hope to speak to you both here again really soon. Thank, thank you. you so much. I love I love double header interviews. These Alan and Emma. I mean, amazing. They never met each other, but they had this incredible chemistry, didn't they? Great, incredible chemistry. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like they'd been they'd been kind of buddies for years. But what a, what an incredible story and and two very very different different stories, but all kind of pulled together by this idea of crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Um, it must have brought back a lot of memories for you, Mark. Because how many how many years is it since you did End of Magic as I'm under Unbound now? It's, Gosh, Couple, isn't it? Three Couple of years, three years, maybe. Three yeah, years. yeah, it must be three years because I was still at Orion. Um, yeah, and that was it. Was it was hard? I won't pretend it, it but it was a fun to it. There was a that thing of having a target, and every day trying. You know, I would try and get at least one pledge a day, kind of thing. You know, and and some days were better than others. And as I said to you know Alan and Emma, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it once. I'm glad I don't have to do it again. <laughs> It is hard. It is really, really hard, but good fun and very satisfying. And it gets your book out there. You know, they can't take that away from you. This is the thing is that any, no matter how, how much work goes into it, we know that publishing a book, you know, there is, there is a certain level of a commitment you're going to have to take on, even if you're with a traditional publisher in terms of, you know, getting out there, talking about it, doing interviews. But the thing I love about any kind of model, you know, whether it's Unbound or just just like, you know, like Jan Carr, one of our Academy members, Academy members she did with crowd crowdfunding on Kickstarter, Kickstarter yeah. Indiegogo, there's all kinds of different options here. But I think there's, there's an opportunity to get your book out there before it's out there. It, it's in some ways, if you, if you don't use something like that due, before, um, you know, during the pre-launch phase of your book, um, you're missing an opportunity to create an event around the release of it. Because we all we all talk about, you know, when we did Back to Reality, obviously we made this huge, great moment, you know, the day it was coming out. And once the day passed, it's like, oh, okay, now the hard work begins and just trying to promote it. Yeah, and there's no yeah. deadline to get people excited and engaged about the book coming out. So Unbound or Kickstarter type campaigns give us that opportunity to have almost like a double launch in some ways. Yeah. Um, you're building you're building a readership, you're building a community who take ownership of it. And they're there all banging the drum for you on day one. But I love what Emma said. She was talking about the fact that you know, she's written this book about these incredible women, uh, but she's discovered that blokes are reading it and enjoying it. And it's gone beyond, you know, that the readership that she conceived of which is where I think you get that fantastic momentum and word of mouth. And and so much of that has to do, you know, with the wonderful characters, but also the language that she's using, that she's writing us in this vernacular, which is so important. Because as I said, she, you know, we're all on the Unbound Authors Facebook group and she was talking about typos. And I was thinking, well, we all get typos. Well, you know, but then I realized, of course, when you're writing 
in a Scottish vernacular like this, it's so important to get these things right because, you know, what I love, she said at, at the at the end of the interview, she says she's established herself as a voice in the Scots writing community, uh, which, again, vitally important for someone who has a passion for that language and, and that vernacular and keeping it keeping it alive. And it's and that's something that publishers like Unbound do so well. Mm. And it's a huge undertaking. I mean, on top of all the other things that we have to try and do as writers and the incredible journey and the challenges that we face, you know, writing something very specifically in a certain vernacular, that that's a whole other level of superpower, isn't it? If you can pull that off and it's quite incredible. But like you say, the benefits of doing that is Number one, the book stands out. Number two, you you gain momentum within, you know, something you get known for. And that's an, mm. another thing that a lot of, you know, authors are like, well, what's the thing? What's the one thing that's going to be my kind of thing that people will remember me by? And I'm sure with Emma, that's been a huge benefit to, to her career as an author as well. One thing that she mentioned, which I found really fascinating, was this idea of the inspiration for the character in the book when she talked about working in a care home many yes. years ago. And it got me thinking, you know, I, I always think about so many of us are authors, you know, there's many authors that listen to this show. They've got the dream of becoming a full-time author, but they're currently in a full-time job, which either they maybe love, but they'd much rather be at home writing or they can't stand and they'd very much more <laughs> like to be at home writing. But it kind of makes me think about a really useful um, tip if you are in a in a job and and you are you know wanting to be a full-time writer or that's the dream or even you just want to kind of more, write more or publish your book and that is that take Emma's example of opening your radar and looking for characters at work because I think there's a really you know, whilst we can see kind of like the dead end job that a lot of people might have as like, oh, you know, this is the thing I want to escape from. It might be the very thing that inspires that amazing novel. So I love the idea that she kind of like has based her entire book around this character that she kind of found, um, you know, got to know maybe at the care home. Have you have you seen that as well happen a lot in other walks of life, Mark? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Anything like this where, I mean, I've I've got a friend who again worked at a care home and all he would tell me was was stories of people that that he met and there is that connection to the past you know that very often it's some um, this is the last opportunity to tell the stories of these people and uh it's um it's important I mean I'm I'm doing a thing at the moment where I'm I'm writing a thing for a possible tv thing and it's sort of based on my childhood and so i'm having conversations with my dad and i'm recording them about stuff that we did that where we both have a memory but of course i was only a kid he has a much you know more vivid memory than maybe i do and you know it keeps those stories alive and again if it, if it's something like a particular voice a vernacular an accent and uh, 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 um, you know it's it's even doubly so more important to to, to keep those things um to carry them on. I remember when I when I worked for Orion, I went to Aberystwyth, uh, to the Otakas there. There was some sort of conference or something, but I got chatting to a guy there who uh, ran a small publisher that published in the Welsh language. And again, it's that thing of keeping that language alive uh, because, you know, I... I'm sure Emma feels as many other people do who are, who are, who are passionate about these these languages, these sort of marginalised languages. That if I don't do it, who else will? Kind of thing, you know. It's very mm. important, really, really important. 
I've got to also just say, Mark, I love the idea that you're recording conversations with your dad. I think that is something everyone should do regardless. But if you've got the excuse of using it because of research or novel, it makes it a lot easier to do. I know I just think of um, a, a, another story of a friend of mine who desperately wanted to capture the history of, of his heritage because his mum had come from a different country. And... Um, and she, she actually was, she had cancer. So she was, you know, she was in her last days and it felt for him really challenging to mm. go to her and say, mum, can I just kind of like talk about your life story a bit? Because, and the, this is really important to understand this. It's because he felt like if he asked her that question when she was in that condition, it would be like saying, because you're going to die soon. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. didn't want to give her, he didn't want her to lose hope. So this is something that we should all be doing with our relatives, our parents, our grandparents, our aunties, our uncles. Um, do it as part of your, in quotes, research. I know you are doing it for your research, Mark, but it's such a brilliant idea. Because the other thing is you might want to do something in 20 years from now, yeah. which pulls in. And, and so you can always do it as research and do it whilst they're with us, whilst they're healthy, because you might end up wanting that or wishing that you had it. And I'm sure a ton of people are probably like saying, yeah, I wish I, I wish I had done that. Cause I, and so I have a recording actually of my grandfather um, talking about his whole life story, which is utterly bonkers stuff. I had no well, idea about exactly stuff they don't want to talk about, but as, as they get to, you know, the twilight years, they, yeah. they suddenly open up about this stuff and they've, doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's got an extraordinary story to tell. Completely. And, you know, this is, this is why it's so important for publishers like Unbound to get voices up there. Actually, I should also mention that Unbound, and this is not to, to plug Unbound necessarily, but it's, uh, just this week, they've they've launched a thing called Unbound Firsts, which is a new imprint for debut writers of color. You know, so again, mm. it's this it's this thing of finding voices of people, and I'll put a link to the sh in the show notes uh, if you want to check it out. Finding the voices of people who uh, might otherwise have been have been overlooked or might not might not even think that they've you know that a, a deal is something for that. And there's been a thing in the news as well just this week of a book. Um, called Keisha the Sket, which is written by this 13-year-old girl. Uh, well, she wrote, first wrote it when she was 13. Uh, she got a laptop and she started putting chapters on a social media site called Pixo, and it's all text-speak and London slang. Again, this thing of a language that's new and, you know, it belongs to, you know, it is spoken by, you know, very narrow sort of uh, range of people and is completely unique. And it's just amazing and absolutely, absolutely fascinating. Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, it's fantastic. Great. Do you want to, Mr. Do you want to talk about speech marks? I was going to say, I want to talk about yeah. speech marks because, Alan, this is a big moment yeah. for me in that. Uh, and because you, I think you referenced in the, uh, in the interview, um, yeah, Cormac yeah. McCarthy, and that book is sitting on my bedside table right now. And I started reading it <laughs> randomly last week. And I've got to say, it was really weird reading this book and, and at first realizing, oh, actually this is dialogue happening and there's no speech marks. And it yeah, took yeah, me, yeah. oh, it's, and then Alan was talking about like how it can actually throw the reader. I was definitely thrown, but um, this is something that you've, you've re you're really fascinated in, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I read Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian probably about 10 years ago now. And, um, you know, it's very much in, in that style. And I think actually with the road as well, what, what I think it does is it, it builds such an intimate relationship between the father and son, you know, getting rid of all, 
all all the the speech marks and and and, and all of that it it makes it almost like a psychic connection that they have uh but yeah lots of writers have done it you know el dr o Cormac mccarthy sally rooney whose book beautiful world where are you i mean this is it's already one of the biggest books of the year she yeah, does it's a it phenomenon isn't it you know and and el dr o said that if a writer knows what they're doing then the reader can tell when it's dialogue and, and McCarthy says he prefers not to block the page up with weird little marks, you know, so it's, it's a stylistic choice and Alan is brilliant. And again, you pick up his book and page one, it's completely absorbing. It's, it's just, it just has this flow. It just gives it this flow that uh, just draws you completely in and it's completely hypnotic. And again, it's that thing of a voice it, he has that, Book one, he has this incredibly vivid, unique voice that no one else has. And that's the sign of a great writer, I think. You know, as as Dr. O says, if they know what they're doing, you can tell when it's dialogue. And with Alan's book, you can definitely tell that. And it's it's brilliantly done. Mm. And you've been so inspired by this as well. You've created a, a new course on the Academy very much around this whole area, yeah. which is well, fantastic. We, we have, we have um, these monthly coaching sessions and uh someone on the academy said you know oh i'd love i'd love to know you know more about formatting dialogue and there are kind of rules well principles to, to formatting dialogue and i did a whole thing on that but i thought yeah we've got to include a whole section on the fact that actually you don't need to do this you don't need to do this you can just go in and let it flow and have fun and experiment with that and i think it's fascinating because if you think about it our entire educational upbringing. <laughs> Imagine if you had written a creative short story in like, you know, um, you know, fourth year at your secondary school or in grade, grade eight, and you had no speech marks. You know what would happen, wouldn't you? You'd come back with this, you'd just be red pen and it'd be like, blah, blah, blah. but I love the fact that you can break the rules. You know what? I should have. Alan's an English teacher. I should have asked him about that. If he, if he, <laughs> if he does that thing of, you know, the curriculum says you've got to do this and he marks them down and he goes, hang on. I've, you know, the child goes, I've got your book. You don't do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe. Well, he did say that they, they, they're bringing it in and getting him to sign it. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. that's why he actually wrote that way because none of his kids were using speech marks. And he thought, well, if you can't beat them, join. <laughs> 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 I love it. I think I think it's it's great because it's part of the, the thing. Reason why we do this podcast is is to learn about the rules and then learn about how you can break them as well. And yep. and, and really coming to this conclusion that we have is that there are there there are rules to guide us. There are principles to guide us. But you be you you do you right. If if you want to try something yep. different, if you want to stand out from the crowd, if you want to not use speech marks then play with it because it. sometimes it can make you stand out a bit. And obviously books get published that don't follow the, mm. the you know, the, what are those books called where you get the, the, the guidelines, these big fat thick books that you, um, I'm trying to think of one. There's one in the U S that I saw the other day and it's like, you know, it literally tells you exactly how to write everything perfectly. And oh, well then you get style guides, style like the guides Chicago, Chicago, Chicago manual, Chicago style manual. manual. Yeah, yeah. That's but, the one I was thinking of. Yeah. I always, I, that's always a red flag for me. If any, if anyone on any sort of writer's group goes, well, the Chicago style manual says, and I mean, it immediately gets my back up, uh, for some reason, because it's, you know, there are rules, these aren't, hard and fast rules these are principles these you know just get your voice out there like say yeah. you know with this with with emma with alan and you know this this uh case the sketch book and all these kind of books that have this unique style it's just about telling stories it's not about don't obey the rules 
tell a story. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that Emma and, and Alan both talked about was the idea of how tiring a crowdfunding exercise is, you know, those, yeah, those yeah. 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. <laughs> but the thing that I'll say that I do pick up, I know you've gone through, I've worked with a lot of people that have done it as well. What I, what I have found is that regardless of how hard it is, they never regret having done it. It's always something because the amount that you learn by going yeah. through that is, mm. is, is something that you take with you for the rest of your life. And it's an achievement as well. I mean, anything that's high pressured, there's always a, there's always a, a counter to that, which is that you get a lot from it when you do it. I remember us, you know, the acceleration of launching our book and that big build up. It was like, it was a lot of work, but man, it felt so good, didn't it? To, yeah. to have achieved yeah. it. It's like a thing you notch up on your life achievements. I did this. And you must've felt that Mark as well yeah. when you did it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It, it it reminded me when I was fifteen. I did the London to Brighton bike race, and I was physically fit then, not like now, you know. And I remember going up and down the South Downs, telling myself, "Never allow yourself to be talked into this ever again." <laughs> and it's, it's a it's a proud achievement, but you know, done, done, never doing it again. You know, <laughs> I love the fact that we've done this podcast for five years, and only what six months ago we both worked out we worked in a bookshop. <laughs> I also did the London to Brighton. Did you? And I'm going to prove it because do you remember that hill? Oh, God, yes. The yeah. hill? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what they did that, when that I did it? That was when I said it. That's what, it was that's Exactly. When I, I was halfway I was going, up that hill and going, they're never, never going to do this again. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And do you know what was super amazing? It was a, it was a kind of a, a quite a hot, sunny day, which, well, wasn't super amazing when you're doing the London to Brighton bike ride, because that is hard work when you've got the sun beating down. But some entrepreneur, some brilliant entrepreneur was at the very, very, very top of that hill. And for people that haven't done this, this is a, this is a mammoth hill. I don't know how, I can't remember how long it took to get up, but, and it's when you're really dead, like you, you really, you want a bit of just like coasting, but no, then you have to do this hill. But at the top of this hill was a guy with an ice cream truck. And you know, whoever it was that did that, I thanked them because that's what got me up there. It absolutely did. Mr. Whippy, 99 Flake, <laughs> all the way. And all the pubs along the way as well. Like um, I, I wasn't 15 when I did it. Um, I was slightly older. I think I was about in my 20s, but there were lots of pubs along the way, which were absolutely <laughs> hysterical. You could barely get into the kind of main front door for bikes lying everywhere. <laughs> It's uh, like bike yeah. Armageddon, but uh, they did good uh, business that day. And if anyone, any, if anyone writes in saying, "Hang on, how how could you do it when you were 15? We weren't doing it officially. We just mingled with everyone on really? Clapham Common. Yeah, we didn't have Brilliant. we didn't have the official badges or anything. Oh, we just mingled with everyone in Clapham Common, and uh, off we went. It was me. Tim, Jesse, Phil Saunders, I think Jeremy might, Jeremy might have done it as well. Ooh. I nearly caused a pile up as well. <laughs> yeah, it's some. Yeah. Oh. Tell us your, your so tell us your your horrendous biking stories as well, and uh, <laughs> maybe there's a book in that. Mark, you know, there's books. You know, we've we've interviewed lots of people who've done sporting events and written novels about that. But maybe there's a book in the London to Brighton. I'm sure there's one out there. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Now, as we always like to do, uh, we you know we're in the process of um, you know, we're putting out an episode with Mark Hood about Academy All Stars, but we're also doing this new feature called Spotlight, which is where we we pick uh, an author in the Academy who is doing great things with their book. And this week is none other than the wonderful Kel Shaw. Kel joined the Academy from Australia. She's in Sydney. This is kind of like a global a global Academy that we have. Um, and she's a business an, an analyst who, uh, who is obviously updating down the pub before I did this, um, is currently working on her <laughs> first book, 
of her urban fantasy series, The Vestige World Chronicles. And Kel is telling us all about the launch of her standalone um, book called Final Night, Mark. Mark, do you, Mark, do you want to give us a, an overview will, about I'll Final do, Night? <clears throat> Trailer voice. Okay. So it says, my current work is a standalone prequel to the upcoming series. It's called Final Night. Freshly risen from the grave, Luki has 12 hours to avenge her death. If only she could remember who did it. And if the monster hunter chasing her doesn't kill her first. Now, if that whets your appetite, it's going to be free from Kel's website uh, by the time uh, this goes live. So go to kelshaw.com uh, to get your free book there. And if you love a bit of immersive urban fantasy, you're going to absolutely love it. Absolutely. Perfect for Halloween. And Kel has been an absolute superstar on the Academy, encouraging other writers and focusing on it. And this is one of the brilliant things that's come from it. Um, she said that after getting years of frustrated with sprawling, never-ending epics, she focused on writing an urban fantasy series that combines her love of epic fantasy with the mystery of noir and of urban fantasy. Um, while they'll be the same protagonist from book to book, one, each one will have a standalone mystery or thriller story. So if that has whet your appetite, do go and check out her website, kelshaw.com. And it's actually launched today, the 25th of October, if you're listening to this on the day the podcast comes out, which happens to also be, Mr. Stay, my birthday. So it's a very special Aww. day. So thank you, Kel, for picking that special day. And I will be getting over to your website uh, as I'm actually going to take the day off. I take the day off for my birthday. It's a thing I do for all my kids and me. And I'm just going to enjoy reading a book, which is something I don't get to do as much as I wish I could. So brilliant. So congratulations, Shell, and um, congratulations on your spotlight. And if you would also like to get a spotlight on the Academy, then check out the Academy, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Brilliant stuff, Mr. Say. Well, listen, good luck with all of your amazing um, things that are happening the next couple of weeks. You've got quite the schedule, sir. We'll have to squeeze in maybe another podcast recording next week. And <laughs> um, and do give him regard, my regards to Ben, won't you, when you, Mr. Aronovich, when you see I him? I will. I'll uh, give him a big smack on the lips from you. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I look forward to hearing the many stories that no doubt will come from that. And also, you know, unboxing. When does the unboxing video actually get launched for your new bookmark? Have you got a date? Did you say it's going uh, out? beginning next week it, sh it should be out by the time this episode goes live we're, we're currently in post-production so um <laughs> and where yeah. can people see that where's where's the best place for me to go to watch that uh, look it's my social media i shall be a carpet bombing Everywhere. social media with this <laughs> If you just look me up, it'll be there. If it's live by the time this goes out, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can check it out. It'll be, you know, yeah, the usual Brilliant spots. stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. And if you'd like to enter the Back to Reality audiobook competition, it's running until the end of November on the website, bestsellerexperiment.com, and click on the newsletter website uh, link, and you can put your name in there. And Mr. Stay, people on social media can find us in many locations. They can. Come to find us on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. Come to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com. Come and say hello, drop us a line, ask us a question, all those wonderful things. Brilliant. And to everyone who's uh, thinking of doing NaNoWriMo this year, it's a few days away. You're obviously warming up, stretching. You're absolutely bonkers. And we wish you the best of bestseller experiment luck with it all. And we hope that you absolutely smash your word count. So good luck to everyone undertaking that. And for everyone else who's doing the 200 word challenge, um, again, 200wordchallenge.com. All right, Mr. Stay, thank you so much. And have a great week. Have a great writing week. And we'll thank see you, you this time next week. All the best. It's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. goodbye.